Matthew chapter 6. It's a word for somebody in here. And usually when the Lord speaks to me something for me, it's for at least one other in here. And um, the Lord didn't show me who it was, but um, it's a good verse. Matthew 6, 25. Well, I'm going to start in 24 because you, you can't have two masters. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or any other thing than God. It, the, the, the distraction is to take your focus off Jesus Christ and God. Therefore, verse 25, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about what your body, what you will put on. Is life worth more than food and the body more than clothing? God knows your needs. He's there for you. He's there for me. And he wants you to know, trust in him. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. He loves you. That's the beginning if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one will be brought to you. I advise it today. It's going to be a good one because the enemy does not want you to know Revelation 13. He does not want this chapter to be taught because he does not want to be revealed for who he is, the deceiver and the liar of the world. Um, Though he may appear as an angel of light, he may appear right, it may appear good, it may appear all is wonderful. Under the crust and the shell of his thin veneer of this outer goodness is nothing but darkness and pain and despair and death. But Jesus has come to give life and that more abundantly. And those who are Christ. The evil one cannot touch. Amen? So here we are. Revelation chapter 13. It seems such a somber, serious chapter, but you know what? It is in one sense for those who don't know Christ. It's a wake-up call for those to open their eyes toward heaven and to receive the Holy One of Israel, the one who came, who was and is and is to come, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of Peace. Oh, rule my heart, O oh Lord. Open your word to my heart as I open my heart to your word right now. Father, I pray you'd speak through me and that you would allow me to convey your message and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Revelation chapter 12, um, is mainly a view of heaven. So John's focus is up. And in Revelation chapter 13, he moves his focus from heaven down to the earth. Now his focus is what's going on on earth in chapter 13. And I saw Satan like lightning being cast down from heaven for his words that he spoke against God and he was cast down like lightning to heaven and he's on the earth even today. Jesus has the title deed of the earth. He owns the earth now, but Satan is still for a little while, has a little bit of his control over the 
the planet. So it's got a, kind of his little domain, and it's very little. Now, if you look at the domain of Satan, how very, very, very small it is, in comparison to the universe and how tiny the earth is, he's got this one little speck of dust in this huge thing that God's created. And the only reason he wants this little speck of dust and the only reason the world wants the tiny nation of Israel to be obliterated is because God isn't in it and it's God's people that are in it that are rising up and he wants the glory from God. He wants all of creation to worship him and that is why he wants the attention of this little speck of a planet for all the world to worship him. That is the focus, that is the reason why he can't get it on his own. People aren't gonna worship him as he is in spirit, because he's a spirit. So he must embody two people and send them to the earth to convey his message. And that's what we're gonna learn about today in Revelation chapter 13. The title of the message is The Antichrist and His False Prophet. Revelation 13 is an amazing chapter. The number of Satan, literally, is 13. <laughs> kind of interesting. He's in the chapter 13. I don't know if that was planned or not by man, but God surely ordained it uh, to make me happy. <laughs> kind of a fun fact. I love numbers, and, and I thought, well, that's, that kind of coincides. This is a demonic, you know, chapter here. It's all about not a demonic chapter. I'm going to say it's all about revealing the demonic ways of, of sin. It's a holy chapter. It's a chapter by God to open the eyes of the blind, open the eyes of the people who are, who are deluded by his ways, Satan's ways. And bear with me as I'm turning here to chapter 13. We're going to read the chapter and then we'll get into the exposition. So Father, bless your word as we have opened to Revelation chapter 13, we recognize that John focuses attention from chapter 12 from heaven down, and now he's on earth, and he begins here, 13 verse 1, the title of the message, The Antichrist and His False Prophet. Then I, this is John, the Apostle John, then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his angels as if it had been mortally wounded and, I'm, I'm sorry, I read a wrong line. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blame his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. 
It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And then I saw another beast, second one, coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he makes fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of men, or in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast, who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So if you don't worship the image of the beast, you're going to be killed. He causes all, both small and rich, great and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for his, it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Wow. Okay. So here we are in back to verse 1, moving focus from heaven in chapter 12 to chapter 13, verse 1. I stood on the sand of the sea. This is the Apostle John. And it's interesting that he was likely standing on the shore of the island of Patmos, because that's where he was when he wrote the book of Revelation. Now, whether he was in the body, he does not know, or whether he was out of the body, he does not know. It says when he had this vision and when he was writing down, but the fact that he may have been right there on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which is north of the Mediterranean Sea, looking out, and some way, somehow, in verse 1, the next part, he saw a beast rising up out of the sea, possibly out of the Mediterranean, looking south from the north looking south from the island of Patmos. I'm a very visual person. I try to put myself into the shoes of the person who's writing the scripture so that I can possibly see what he sees and experience and feel what he feels to get possibly the understanding of his, his way and what he's trying to write here. So he's looking, think about, I'm picturing myself on a beautiful desert island in Greece. <laughs> Patmos is a beautiful desert island, by the way, looking south over the Mediterranean Sea from the South Aegean Sea. And it's just, wow, what a wondrous thing. Now, did you know in like 
the Middle Ages and before, before they discovered that the earth was round and before they discovered that the sea, the earth was not flat, that the sea was something as something terrible and dangerous that if you went too far, you'd, you'd just go right off the edge. And who knows? Could he have been looking over the sea and seeing a beauty, but then looking over the sea and going, man, that's pretty treacherous out there, that deep water. I don't want to, uh, look what happens. A beast rises up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns. And on his horns, 10 crowns. And on his head, a blasphemous name. Now where it says, where he says, where John says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. I found a scripture in Psalm uh, 74, verse 12. If you're taking notes, this is kind of a key psalm to actually maybe validate this fact that the sea to the Old Testament and New Testament and older world crowd, the sea was treacherous. It wasn't something wonderful and grand and marvelous. It was like, yeah, it's scary out there in darkness falling off the end of the earth. Why do you think they came up with these, these strange ideas of the earth being flat? They didn't have the word of God. They they, but look what happens in 74 verse 12. It says, for God is my king from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You, God, divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the serpent, the sea serpents in the waters. Wow. That's Psalm 74, 12 through 13. Broke the head of the sea serpents in the waters. And this Greek word for beast rising up out of the sea has the idea of like a wild, dangerous animal, something uncontrollable. I mean, this thing has some form of power that has never been seen before. And John is, it's kind of a whoa, like a, an awe moment. This guy, there's something up with him. Um, the beast that John sees here coming out of the sea represents someone different than Satan. This is not Satan coming out of the sea, okay? This is a different entity. Because Satan is represented by the red dragon in Revelation 12 verse nine. That's his identity, Satan, red dragon. This guy is a man with some form of great power coming up, man, it's, and it's not good, it's a bad power. But notice how the crowns are not on his head, they're on the horns in this verse. The crowns, there's 10 crowns on the horns. Each crown, each horn has a crown. But there's no crown on his head. The only thing on this guy's head is a blasphemous name. Something that curses God and his people and his work. Some blasphemous name. We don't know what that is, but it's something that blasphemes God. And you know the only way to blaspheme God and commit the unpardonable sin is to reject Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if it says Jesus Christ is Satan blaming the opposite being true? Can you imagine him having something on us that says Jesus Christ is not God or Jesus Christ is Satan? Trying to deceive the nations that Jesus is not who he said he was. He's actually the opposite. 
lying. Wouldn't that be interesting? I get, I get into this maybe a little too deep. I kind of, you know, but I'm, I'd say, what was on that guy's forehead? I want to know what that blasphemous name was, you know? Rebellion, sin of witchcraft. What could have that been? I love Satan. You know, I don't know. I don't think it was that blatant, though. I think it was interesting, but a blasphemous name was written. But notice how the crowns were on the horns. And to me, that indicates that he had some sort of a totalitarian authority over 10 nations, but he wasn't ultimately the king of those nations. Does that make sense? He's not the, the necessarily the and what president or the one um, who came from, he couldn't be, because he can't come from all 10 nations. And what that shows me is a divided allegiance. He's got, where's his allegiance? Is it to one nation? Is it to all of them collectively? Or is it to the one red dragon in Revelation 12, 9? Hmm. I think we're going to figure that out. He's got his allegiance. And as we read, as God, I don't know how God does this stuff. It's amazing. But we read in Matthew, you cannot serve God and anything else. You cannot be double-minded. You can't serve God and mammon. No one has two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other. So look at this guy. He's divided, a divided heart um, for the people. But his singularity has a, has a, 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 a masked Mast is, oh, I'm for the people. Mast is, oh, yes, I'm for you, everyone. But under that thin veneer is, I've served Satan, and he's got the blasphemous name on his head. Whoa, this is some heavy stuff. So, but that's not enough. That's not quite enough. He has more names. I'm going to give you a few of them. <laughs> God, God's really pinpoints who this guy is. This beast has multiple names and titles in scripture. He is the little horn of Daniel 7 verse 8. He has, he's the king of fierce features of Daniel 8.23. He's the small p, not the large p, not the capital P, but the small p prince that shall come in Daniel 9, 26. He's the willful king, does his own will, and actually does his father's will. He is of his father, the devil. From Daniel eleven thirty six through 45. And there's a, uh, I'm going to say almost like a, Hmm. It's a verse that Jesus spoke that you may not uh, connect this to. But Jesus spoke a verse in John 5.43 and spoke a word. And he says, this one, he, this, this lawless one, he is the one who comes in his own name whom Israel will receive as Messiah. What? His own people rejected Jesus, him, but is going to receive a guy that comes in his own name instead. John 5.43. And finally, in 
2 Thessalonians 2, 3, he is the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one. Wow, that's a lot of titles. That's a lot of stuff, right? So John goes on to describe now what he did see rising up. Now he's going to describe more detail. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, remember, Revelation 12, 9, the red dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Because Satan cannot take his own power. He's a spirit. He has to embody someone to take power so that he gets the glory through someone else. It's interesting. Daniel 7 reveals, Daniel chapter 7, for note takers, reveals these four beasts, but they're in reverse order, exactly reverse order. Um, <clears throat> or I could say that John writes them in reverse order from what Daniel put them in. And, then, and that's most likely because Daniel was looking forward, right? And then John was looking backward. So he, it, it's an interesting take on why he does it in reverse order. But as with any empire, and the empires that these four represent with Daniel are Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But as with any empire, especially with a tyrannical, tyrannically ruled empire, the, the empire is usually, um, um, what, like, I try to, I lost my words here, but the focus of the, of the whole empire is usually one man. In other words, when it's tyrannically ruled, it, it's like um, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, right? You don't think of anybody else but his name because his picture's everywhere, he's worshiped everywhere as basically a god. It's a tyrannical rule. When you, when you have a, a, a kingdom like that, you think of the tyrant on the top, right? So in the same sense, this beastly man will speak words that the whole world wants to hear, and he's got this mouth like a lion, it says in verse 2, and he's going to just speak these just crazy words, pompous words against all kinds of things, but he, he's going to seem like a good guy. It's going to be like, yeah, this guy's like bringing peace. But Daniel 7, 25 says, he shall speak pompous words against the most high. He shall persecute the saints of the most high and he shall intend to change times and law. And the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. And it's interesting how God defines this time more than any time in all of scripture, he defines this time in all different ways except for minutes and seconds so that all men will know that when this time comes, you know this is the time. God said it in way more ways than one. 
But him saying in Daniel 7.25 these pompous words against the Most High, that sounds a lot like Satan, doesn't it? Remember when Satan said, I will ascend above the clouds, I will be like the Most High in Ezekiel 14? Well, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a mouth that defiles a man, it's what comes out of a mouth, his mouth. The words that you speak come out. You can't reel them back, you know? Once you cast your words out, you can't get them back. There's no line to bring, they're gone. And they're out there and you gotta take care of them. And we, we were reading in Deuteronomy 23 this week, on Thursday, and we're talking about once the words leave, you can't bring them back. When you vow something, you've got to repay it. So don't speak too quickly. Pray. Pray about things. I, I said something about, wow, I was doing a car deal with the first car deal with my wife, Jerise, and we're back in the day, and we're like, the, the dealer's like getting me down to the, the nub, you know, and I'm, I'm working him down. We had three times he went back and forth, back and forth to the, to the boss, man, to come back. We got back to 99 cents above the price that I was supposed to hold my price. God said, hold the price, hold the price. Don't, I'm like, okay, yes, Lord, hold the price. 99 cents above, and I say, okay, we did it. We brought you down basically from 2,500 down to 99 cents above what you have asked. And I pushed it back, I said, well, I'm sorry, there's, there's no deal. And the guy reaches into his wallet and he pulls out a dollar bill and he puts it on the table and he pushes it across the table. And I said, honey, can I have your change purse? And I took a penny out and I put it on the table and I put it back and I said, you got a deal. And then I said, Jerese must have been thinking, who did I marry? Like, who is this guy, right? But when God tells you something, do it to the letter, to the T. When God, when you know it's him, do it. And, and that's kind of the point, you know? You, 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 you see this guy with pompous words. It isn't God. You know it's not because the Spirit dwells in you. And when those words come out of your mouth and you've committed to something, do it, even when it hurts and even when you look foolish. That seemed very foolish, I think, maybe to many, very silly, maybe some, to some arrogant. But, you know, you're going to look strange to this world when you follow God to the letter. It's interesting. But you know what's going to end up? The peaceable fruits of righteousness are going to come through you because you're trained by the Lord and you're listening and obeying in a loving, loving relationship. But it's very interesting in this verse 2. Suddenly, this military empowerment that he gets, the beast gets, and seemingly an, an, an endless authority of these 10 nations that this beast gets, and he gets all of this, and now he starts speaking pompous words and blasphemous words against the Most High, it's still not enough to convince the masses to follow him. He also must imitate, in a sense, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to deceive the world into thinking he is the true Messiah. Look at verse three. And I saw one of the heads as if it were mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. It's possible this, this may have been some sort of a failed assassination attempt 
but it was successful because the guy actually died and he came back to life. It was a mortal wound. God allowed that to happen for, for a reason. We'll learn about here in a minute. But um, the fact that he was healed from the deathly mortal wound, this pushes the masses over into his camp where they start to believe him and they say, he must be, this guy has to be the one. This is none other than the Antichrist. He imitates the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the world believes him. And the swift, miraculous recovery of the beast's mortal wound will cause his fame and notoriety and authority to increase throughout all the world. And the whole world marveled, it says, and followed the beast. Wow. Twice later in Revelation 13, 12 and 13, 14, this miraculous recovery is mentioned in connection to the world's worship and utter blind devotion to the beast. Let's look at verse 14. Look what they did now. So it pushed him into his camp. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. So they worshiped Satan and they worshiped beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Wow. As people bow down and worship this beast, they're worshiping Satan as well. Some, some of them maybe unwittingly, but some of them wittingly. It's very interesting to me that, you know, as Satan worship becomes more and more popular each year, it's still a small fragment of the population, you know? And the reason why it's a very small fragment of the population is because no one's going to go out and not many people are going to go out and, and put a, a devil on their car and say, I worship Satan, right? They're not. Why? Because they think Satan is, is related to ugliness and horror and, and, and utter evil and, you know, just wretched and... and, and but that's a false understanding of who Satan is and what he looks like. Because 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14 says, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into angels of light, ministers of righteousness. But their end will be according to their works. So they do, so they will die. They want to deceive, they want to kill, they want to steal and destroy. That will be their end as well. The Lord will have his say. Amen. Amen. This is why knowing, not just knowing, don't just be a hearer, and applying, being a doer of your word, is so important in every day, not just in the last day every day. It gives you discernment to avoid the possibility that you might even believe the lie that, that it is to come. But no one, here's the joy, no one is capable to deceive God's children who abide in Christ because no one can snatch them out of his hands. They're all his. So God is good. Be, be aware, you know, of your word and be aware of his spirit filling you, giving you understanding to the word. And if you haven't been 
filled in the spirit, filled by God to understand his word, ask him, pray, Lord, fill me in your spirit. Teach me to understand and he will. Verse five, look at what he says, this, this beast, this antichrist. He says, and he was given a mouth, remember the mouth of the lion? Speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 42 months. There's your 42 month indicator, three and a half years. 40, 30 day months, 1260 days. The world will be amazed at the power of the beast. They will believe he is so powerful that he cannot be conquered. He is the guy. He's the world ruler. He's the one the Jews were looking for to, to subdue the earth and to make them, you know, their kingdom on the earth and rule the earth. They didn't know it was a, a heavenly kingdom, ultimately. But this beast is going to look like an honorable, tremendous victor, especially when he openly blasphemes Jesus and persecutes God's people because that's what they want to hear. They want to hear, they want to see God's people as weak and cowardly and hang their hat on, oh, see, yeah, they follow God and look, what they, or look where they went up. Look where they end up. And they hang the hat. Oh, yeah, I, never, I knew I should never go be a Christian. You know, ah, look what happens. But it's only for a short time. Very, very short. Man, this time is moving quick. Quicker and quicker, it seems, every year. Knowledge is increasing. It's amazing. God's, it's almost like time is on a, uh, as we get closer to the end, it's, it's spinning faster. Time is just moving faster. But look at verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So a more accurate title for the Antichrist is blasphemer. So it could be that name, <laughs> the blasphemer, it just, you know, godless blasphemer. I don't know what's written across his forehead, but you know, for this end times dictator, he's going to speak so smooth with like words dripping with honey and people are going to lap it up and just go, oh, what a wonderful man and follow that guy. He's going to bring a temporary peace like the world has never seen before. It's going to be one, and that's what everyone wants. What do you want, Mrs. Um, candidate of the, you know, the world, um, Oh, I don't even know, beauty pageant or whatever. They always say world peace. That's what I want, right? Two words, world peace. That's all they want, right? That's what the world wants. The world wants peace and harmony and joy. And they're going to get a little bit pseudo peace for a little while. But um, it's interesting that God gets his... Gets his um, two cents in there, but he opened his, he opened his mouth to God. I lost my place. Sorry, guys. But he, he blasphemes God, blasphemes his name. And what is the name of God? Yahweh, Elohim, you know, Yeshua, uh, Adonai, Yeshua, Jesus, blasphemes Jesus. Oh man, he's not the one. His tabernacle is going to be built it's not built yet in Israel, but the tabernacle, the, the temple will be built. 
And he's going to blaspheme that too. He's going to say, look at you follow God and look, follow me and you'll have good things. In fact, he's going to try to set himself up in that tabernacle. And then all who dwell in heaven are going to be blasphemed and, and talked against. At this point of time in his reign, he's receiving most of the glory on the earth. And he's just lapping it up. He's speaking words like dripping like honey the people, that people want to hear. And he's getting all the glory. Yes, we love you. Yes, yes. And he's just eating it up, right? So he's getting all this glory on the earth. But he doesn't want to stop there. He wants all the glory in heaven too. And if he's not going to get it, then he's going to speak against it. Blasphemous name, blasphemous words. He blasphemes God Almighty. He blasphemes the temple of God. And you've got to hear this one because this is like, this is an interesting idea. He blasphemes all those who are in heaven. Check this out. These people may in fact be all those in heaven. It may in fact be us, the church. Could it most likely be we're in heaven with the lamb and he sees us? at the marriage supper of the Lamb and he starts blaspheming us as well because we receive Christ and we were with God in heaven. We're the bride of Christ and Christ is saying, look at my bride. Just like God said, look at my servant Job and showed him off as one of the most righteous men and he's showing his bride and it's so proud of his bride and here this beast is going, the temple, God and the bride, Ugh. Right? And the world latches onto that. I think that's kind of cool. I think, man, glory to God. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Look at verse 7. So it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And his authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. No one could conquer the beast. No one could overcome his power. All, everyone had to submit to it. Everyone had to surrender the whole world. And he could conquer the saints. Now, if, he, if I just told you he's looking in heaven and there's saints in heaven... Well, who are these saints on the earth? Who are these people? If there's saints in heaven, are there saints, there's saints on earth too and he's able to conquer them? Well, I don't believe that Satan is able to conquer the bride of Jesus Christ, the church. Because Jesus said, upon this rock, when he was talking to Peter, the statement that you are the Christ, son of the living God, upon this statement, upon this rock, this understanding of authority, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? So there's no way that Satan can prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, but it appears here that the church is not on earth. It's in heaven during the time of tribulation. So who the heck are these saints in, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7? Um, I think these saints mentioned here are either the first fruits of the results of the, of the two witnesses that just died and rose again and ascended into heaven from chapter 12, from speaking the good news, and or all the 144,000 evangelists that are throughout the whole world speaking God's word. These saints replied to that and they said yes to the Lord and no to the beast. These are the saints whom he, the beast is, will, is able to overcome for a short time. 
but they will have to die for their faith. Why? Because the Antichrist will have the power to kill and he will put to death those who believe in Jesus Christ. Simply put, being martyred during the tribulation is eternally better than submitting to the authority of the Antichrist and worshiping him. We're going to find out next week in Revelation chapter 14, a revelation that if anybody worships him, I point down because he is down, <laughs> down and out, they will lose any chance of salvation forever. We'll get into that next week, but look at verse eight now. So all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Wow. Whose names have not been written in the book of life, the lamb slain from the foundation of the word world. How in the world are all of the world, world people of the world gonna worship him? I don't have my cell phone with me, hallelujah. I left it in my car, so I don't bring it to church and I don't bring it to the dinner table, right? But don't be condemned. I'm just kind of messing with you a little bit. But how are they going to worship the beast? Quite possibly his image is going to pop up on your phone just like these red alerts we get when someone's kidnapped and they can have, they have access to your phone. Worship the beast, worship the beast. Who knows? That could be a way, a way. I'm not saying it's the way, but it's an a way for the whole world to see and to, to make a choice right there. Who knows? And we get, and isn't it interesting, we get an apple with a bite out of it. The temptation of the original sin. An apple computer is the one that is making all of these phones that we might just isn't that an interesting thought? I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. A, a bitten apple. Oh no, Apple stocks just dropped five points <laughs> based on that statement. But you know what? Hallelujah, God is good. I have an Apple phone. I'll, I'll use it until God says don't use it. And when he does, I'll throw it away, you know? So it's a tool. And right now, it's a good tool, but it can be used as an evil tool as well. And that's my point. What the enemy intends for evil, God can turn to good. But, but just be aware, you know? Be, be aware. Um, it's not, you, you wouldn't put it past the Antichrist to be able to bring worship to himself. They did it in Rome where the Caesar would say, okay, you know, take a little of this incense and put it in the fire and say, as you pass by, hail Caesar, you know? And you have to go, everyone would have to do that. Or they'd be persecuted or killed. They had forced worship, forced allegiance. It's all about allegiance. Where's your heart? Where's my heart? Is it aligned to God, the Bible and his word? Or does it align to my own ways, the world's ways, or the ways of the enemy? Where is your heart aligned? And that's where you're going to end up. And if you're worried, oh, I don't know, am I going to serve God? If that happens, will I, will I deny him? Well, only you know where your heart's aligned. Align your heart to Jesus. Abide in Christ. Get in his word. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And you will not be deceived, my beloved. He loves you. He can't pluck. No, the enemy can't pluck you out of his hand. But Stalin did it. Hitler did it. Lenin did it. And that was tiny, minuscule guys compared to this guy we're talking about here, the Antichrist. These were like mini, you know, mini-me's of this guy. <laughs> Radical. But the book of life 
contains the names of all of God's redeemed people, Revelation 20, 15, if you want to reference. But the idea here is that no one who worships the beast could ever have been or ever will be written in the book of life. And after that dark statement, God has a little bit of light. He turns a little bit of light on here in verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. God has something very important to say to his saints that are on the earth during this time. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. This is a word of encouragement to all the saints who are going to experience a horrific and terrible persecution from the Antichrist, from all who do not receive his mark. He who lives by the sword, killing Christians, is the one who shall also die by the sword. God's going to have him killed basically by the sword or the mouth of the word of God that comes out of Jesus Christ. The word of God is going to slay the enemy. Amen? And the word of God is in you, my little children, and you abide in the word of God, and the enemy, and the, and the enemy can't deceive you because the word abides in you, and you're strong, and you understand. That's like First John somewhere, but his love is so great. It over, don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Trust in God. Don't be, oh, no, it's freak out. No, it's wonder. God's coming, and you have, you're on the winning team. You have the end. You have the end. You have the beginning, the middle, and the end of life, and you know what's coming, so we can be at peace. But this, this guy, you know, he's going he's gonna to persecute these people, but their persecution will not be in vain in the Lord. God is going to vindicate them soon. So he throws in a, a tidbit of hope for the people on, a, on the earth, that verse 9 and 10. And then what happens? Once God gives a little bit of glory, a little bit of joy, a little bit of peace, a little bit of hope, something to hold on to, look what happens in verse 11. The enemy comes in like a flood and he rises another person out of the earth. First he came out of the sea, this beast number one, now you got beast number two coming out of the land. Verse 11, and I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. Man, this guy looks like a lamb, but he speaks like the devil. If you're discerning, if you're not discerning, he looks like a lamb and he speaks like a lamb. <laughs> but if you're discerning, you get it. Revelation 16, 13 says, I'm jumping forward because there's a verse that kind of connects this. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. That's Satan, the red dragon from Revelation 12, 9. Out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, or what we'd like to term as the blasphemer. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. So here you have a form of an unholy trinity of sorts. God I mean, Satan is trying to be like God, imitating himself like the Trinity, you know, an unholy Trinity. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets, for they will come to you in sheep's clothing. They're going to look good. They're going to look like your friend, but they're going to deceive you. 
and they don't they aren't who they say they are and they aren't who they look like the wolves in sheep's clothing they have intent they only have one intent and that's the John 10.10, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give life, and that more abundantly. John 10.10, that's his only goal, steal, kill, destroy, and Jesus' goal, life, more abundantly, you, me, amen. Verse 12, and he exercises this beast, all the authority of the first beast, and in his presence, He causes the earth and all who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Satan empowers not only the first beast, but the second beast to cause the whole world to worship this first beast who had the deadly wound. So the the deadly wound, this mortal wound, is mentioned several times. And the mortal wound is the main focus of the false prophet by which he deceives and draws in the people of the world to worship the first beast. He's going to say, look what, look what our God did. Look how our God raised him. He is God. He's the fake Jesus, <laughs> so to speak. But, and he's going to focus. And that, don't we do that as Christians? Don't we focus one? Didn't Paul do it? You're going, wait, what's he talking about, Pastor? The mortal wound, the, the, the mortal wound, not the spiritually eternal wound. The enemy mortally wounded Christ. He died physically, completely dead. But he rose back from the dead, right? Don't we celebrate the resurrection? And didn't Paul say, without the resurrection, your sin is in vain? If, we don't, if Christ did not rise, our sin is in vain. Go do what you want. We don't even have... We don't even have a religion without that. He must rise from the dead. So look how the emphasis is all on the wound and how he came back was healed. Wow. It's like a fall. It's a full on false Christ, false um, sign kind of thing. But it, it goes on here, verse 13, to signs now. Now it's with your eyes. What comes in through your eyes? could deceive you. Be careful. You know, I've been watching this thing called, a a guy called Chris Angel, and he's a a magician in in Las Vegas. And I mean, I mean, he did one thing. It was so absolutely, really, like there's, it seems like demonic almost. Like you're going, how in the world could this guy do this? There's, there's, he's on the top of the Luxor in a, in a, um, like 12 stories up and he goes, okay, I want you to randomly pick people to come up here and I want you to, and he's on a bullhorn speaking down from the top and he's saying, and he's saying I want you to look on your watch and, and calculate how long it takes for them to go from down there to up here, you know, up the elevator and up the stairs and out the door and up to me. So, okay, go. And so they, they counted them all, they came up and it took like five or six minutes for them to reach the top to him. And he goes, okay, so I have this bandana. I'm going to throw it down to you. And um, this is going to be the trick. Oh, are you ready? And everyone's all, yeah. And everyone's like cheering for him. And he throws this bandana. And the whole group of about 15 people start looking over the side. And you have this continuous shot 
a video of the bandana getting thrown down and it's, it's spiraling down and you look and all of a sudden he's down there catching the thing he threw from 15 stories up. And they're all down there cheering and I'm like, you know what? That is interesting. If that guy, a magician, can perform something that amazing, just think how this is going to be to a million times more than that, right? So be careful what you see with your eyes. Your eyes can deceive you. That's why God took my eye. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> to make me a little bit more discerning, right? But the point being is we discern things by God's word. Through his word, people, we must know him. But to know him and to fellowship with him is to actually relate with his sufferings. Did you know that suffering produces patience and tribulation produces patience? And James says, if you allow that patience to have its perfect work, you're gonna be complete, lacking nothing, completely delivered from everything because you've given Christ your heart and your life and your whole way. You'll be delivered from all kinds of things that ensnare you from his word. It's so good, it's so true, and it's so right. Trust God, he loves you. It's amazing. I don't even know where I am in the scripture right now, you guys, but that was a side thing, but I was trying to explain a point. Be careful with what we see, okay? It, you can be very deceived easily if you don't have the discernment of God's word. So, Beware of false prophets, sheep's clothing, wolves, destroy, kill, steal for their own selfish gain. Verse um, um, 13. So now he's able to perform great signs. So to me, really, I mean, uh, as a human, not as a Christian, just as a, a man, that magic trick that, that Chris Angel performed, that thing was a great sign <laughs> to a non-spirit-filled Christian. That was one of those, whoa, there's something way different about, I'm gonna follow this guy. And you should see his following, this kid. Man, interesting. But I can get, I get it, I get it. I was like, I was almost lulled into the thing. I'm like, Whoa, man, it was too good. <laughs> Going sideways. It was so amazing. And now, all, now that I've given his name, you're all going to go watch it. And now you're all going to get deceived. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. No, you will not, my children. God's saying, you will not be deceived because you know me, you love me, and you trust my word. But it is interesting sign of the times. So here we are, verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. Do you remember the two witnesses from chapter 12 doing the same thing and even fire coming out of their mouth? There's a scripture in 12 that says it's, the fire is gonna come out of your mouth at your will and you're gonna consume your enemy, whomever you want. Basically, God gave them autonomy to just blast people with fire coming out of their mouth. In, Read chapter 12 again, you'll see it. It's pretty radical. 
But here's another imitation. Fire coming down from heaven. Satan's trying to imitate God again. Do you remember the case of Moses uh, when he went before Pharaoh and he was at uh, the, uh, the magician's court, you know, and he, he threw his uh, rod down on the floor and Moses' rod became a serpent, you know, and then, and then the two magicians did their incantations and then they threw their rods down and, oh, and they became, you know, little garden snakes too, right? But then Moses' serpent went and devoured the two garden snakes and it became a rod in his hand again. Well, some people discount the magician's miracle. It's very quite possible that the enemy is able to do a duplication of a miracle. And it was real. It wasn't like a fake, like, like trick. Like it was possibly a real miracle satanically. But God is greater than any satanic miracle and will swallow up. Amen. God's miracles swallow up any of the enemy's miracles. And his snake swallowed the other two. So the enemy tries to do two ways. Isn't that interesting? He has two mouthpieces on earth. False prophet and the Antichrist. And all the way back Moses, it was two serpents. I don't know. That's kind of an interesting point. But we know the names of these two magicians also. 2 Timothy 3 verse 8 if you want to turn there, I'm going to read it. If you don't, um, just notate it. It's Janus and Jambres. Remember those two guys? Those were the magicians in the court of the Pharaoh. Those are the guys that did it. Second Timothy 3.8 says, Now as Janus and Jambres, Jambres resisted Moses, so do these people of the earth resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith and they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs was also as Janus and Jambres folly was manifested because their snakes were swallowed up by Moses' greater snake so the folly of man that follows his corrupt mind and his disapproval of faith not trusting God by faith but just walking in your own ways it's, their folly is going to be manifest to all. And Satan's folly, the Antichrist's folly, and the false prophet's folly will be manifest to all as fake. Amen. And God's going to have his day and his moment, and it's coming. I can't wait. It's coming. But um, I'd also like to mention that the, the, um, the prime evidences for Jesus' authority were not based in signs and wonders. It was mainly based in his fulfilled prophecies. That's a greater thing than signs and wonders. So um, Jesus didn't come to proclaim his own name, but the name of his father. It's always someone greater He's always doing his father's will, always inquiring of what God wanted. He's given us an understanding of how to relate and how to actually live like he lived because he knew we're weak and we need help. But this, um, the evidence of the um, 
the authority of Christ was his fulfilled prophecies, basically. Now, the miracles were part, partly evidence, but that's not the primary evidence. Don't get me wrong. It's great. He did great things. He did amazing miracles. But you know what he said? Greater works than these shall you do. So he wasn't putting the emphasis on the miracles. He's putting the emphasis on the relationship and getting close to God and saying, if you're close to me, just speak the word and it will be done. Basically, ask what you will in the Father's name and I will do it. I think he says it something like that. That's pretty radical. That's pretty good authority. So when you're feeling down, when you're feeling like, you know, you're all alone, you're not. You've got your child of God. He loves you. And you have the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Learn to walk in it. And if you're having a hard time walking, get next to someone who, who does and pray and, and just, get, just get closer to God. He loves you so much. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs through the eyes. Chris Angel, <laughs> just joking. I pray, Lord, for Chris Angel in Jesus' name, Father. I pray for his salvation. I don't know him. I don't know his background. I just saw a few of his things. And I pray, Lord, that some way, somehow, you'd save that man and that he'd turn around if, if he doesn't know you, Lord, he'd turn around all these works for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so he deceives those who dwell on the earth with all these signs, which he's, he was granted to do so in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Here we are focusing on that wound and lived again, you know, false resurrection, so to speak. But God is going to give them a strong delusion that they might believe the lie. So the beast deceives them through signs. Jesus said in John 20, 29, blessed are those who believe yet haven't seen. And if you don't want to believe the truth during this time, then God will give you what you're asking for and you will believe in the beast's delusions and God will allow the people of the earth to be deceived because they want to be. Once deceived though, check out, it's a progression. He's got a plan. This is Satan having a plan. Once the people are deceived through the wonders and the signs, he's got them in his back pocket and now they're making an image to worship him. Now they've got his, their allegiance. Their heart is not divided. It's 100% false prophet, antichrist, Satan, the unholy trinity. Now look at verse 15. Look what, it, look what can, he can do. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. You know, there's been a lot of different interpretations on what this could be. Could it be an animatronic? I mean, I've seen it in like Disneyland long time ago, back in the 70s when I was a kid. And they had our presidents, President Lincoln giving the, you know, the declaration of, 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 the, um, of the, whatever he was reading, and they had the animatronic, and he's speaking like president. You know, I go, whoa, that's pretty darn good. Well, we've come leap years, light years from that now, and they have actual robots that actually look like people, man. I don't know. Could it be? I don't know. Could it be a real man? We don't really know. But the heart of it is that the power 
was from Satan. It was granted by God to give, to allow Satan to give the power, breath to this image, something that is maybe inanimate. And we have cloning and we have all kinds of things we can do, but it could be some inanimate thing brought to life. And people are, oh, here's another sign that just goes beyond anything ever. Who can bring something inanimate to real life? And they just worship that thing because they're, they're already so deceived. They're already so far down the path of their allegiance, their, of their heart. Not God that they, they believe the lie. But remember when Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image that caused, and he caused everyone to bow down and worship that image. And whoever refused to worship that image would be killed by throwing them into the fiery furnace. I've got a nugget in here you guys are going to love. It's, a, it's like one of, those, one of those wows I've never seen in the Bible before, like before teaching this. I'm going, oh my gosh, Lord, this is so cool. So in Daniel chapter 3, verse 6, it says, whoever does not fall down and worship the golden image shall be immediately cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they would not bow down to that image. And what happened? The king, Nebuchadnezzar, took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, got his, his guards and says, throw them into the fire. And by the way, turn up the heat seven times hotter, just to be sure we get these guys good, because they're not worshiping me. And they went to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And the guys that threw them into the fire burned up at the, at the door. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire. And the king was looking, he's peering into the thing. He goes, wait a minute. I'm looking in there and I see three, but wait, there's a fourth walking with them. They're moving inside of there. And one looks like the son of God. Who could this be? What is going on here? Here's the nugget. Here's some biblical food for thought. Where is Daniel? How come Daniel's not thrown into the fire? He didn't bow down. Where is the guy? Scratch. That's a head scratcher. Could it be he is a picture of the church being saved from the fire of tribulation during the, the great tribulation? He's, he's a type of the church that gets protected from having to being thrown in the fire? I don't know. That's just some food for thought. But I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Like, wow, Lord, we're gonna be up with you in heaven during this terrible time on earth. But here in verse 15 of Revelation 13, we see a very close similarity to King Nebuchadnezzar. It's an all out demonically influenced tribute to the Antichrist. And as many as would not worship his image would be immediately killed. Verse 16, and he causes both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive the mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. So in order for his military and his government and his people who are aligned to him to quickly identify in an instant, can you imagine on your forehead a, a mark, a, a big tattoo? I remember Charles Manson did something like that. He had like a, I forget what he had up here, but like a satanic star or something, the pentagram tattooed on his forehead, I, something like that. And he was identifying his allegiance 
right hand or your forehead, immediate identification of whoever this guy, this beast is, you're gonna be identified. Now, there's people that have talked about a chip in the hand, you know, because we're in the computer age, right? A chip in the forehead and all this. Couldn't it be that it's, it's just simply a tattoo? It's just a simple mark that identifies your allegiance that you worship the beast. It's just a simple mark. And all of these little chips and things that are in, yeah, okay, they may come, they may go, but where's your allegiance? Where's your alliance? Now, the chips may come before the mark. <laughs> so everyone's going, oh, no, I'm not receiving the chip. Oh, no, it's a freaky thing. I don't know. I'm not trying to get you to see it one way or the other except to just be aware. Be in, your, be in prayer, be in your word. We don't know exactly. And where we don't know, we're silent. But we make inferences to what we might think it would be or could be. It's just some more, you know, a little bit more biblical food for thought. But, you know, the new world order that under George Bush rapidly started progressing. I mean, I was so sorry I voted for him, really, after, after what he did and what he stood for. That after the fact I found out, I'm like, oh, shoot, man. Sometimes you vote for someone, you go, okay, it's the, the best of the worst, I guess. You know, you go, and you go, whoa, it's even worse because where is his allegiance? Where is his alliance? I don't know. I really don't. But man, the guys in office today, I, I have an idea that his alliance is with Jesus, man. He's got a form of alliance with Christ. It's interesting. And this could be a, a season of grace for the world that the Lord is giving us a little bit more time before Jesus comes. And then when, and he's going to make black, black, white, white. And then, uh, should I tell you, I think I told you that the word for 2020 in my personal life is upheaval. I'm not saying for us or the church, but I'm saying it's, it's the year of upheaval. And I don't know if it's for the church or it's for us or it's for the world, but I know upheaval means what that means. God tears down to build up. It's all good. It's wonderful. It's not heavy. It's not oppressive. It's joy. Lord, the upheaval, upheave my, my flesh. Upheave my will. Upheave who I am so that I can be more of who you are. And if it's for the church and the church is going to do an upheaval, hallelujah, Lord. Bring it to your will and to, that your glory may be made known. But the upheaval is going to come. If you're following Christ, you're going to be persecuted or you're going to be talked wrongly about because you love him. So he's got this mark on all the people, rich, poor, slave, free, everybody on the world's got this mark. But the new world order or the government or even the current UN can rapidly establish a one world cashless, solely digital society where a person must be identified with a mark in order to buy, sell, or trade. Look at verse 17. Because without that mark, no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So it's three different things. And when I'm reading through scripture, some, I stop at the mark. But it could be you write, you tattoo his name, you know, whatever the mark is, 
What if his name is uh, Apollyon or uh, uh, Biden or whatever the, you know, the, 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 the enemy's name is, and you, you tattoo his name on your forehead or whatever that thing is. You've got the mark or the name of the beast or the number, or you just go blatant, you just go 666 across your forehead. I identify with the enemy. Uh, who knows, right? But something is gonna identify the lambs from the goats, the sheep from the, the wolves, amen? And you're gonna know who's, where their allegiance is. But um, if, if you don't receive this mark, you're gonna have trouble if you're here, these saints during this time, attempting to you know, buy, sell, trade. You're gonna have to live underground and off the grid. And you have all these people going off the grid and stuff, but man, it, once you're confronted with the fact, do you want the mark or not? And you say no, you will die. You will have to die for your faith. But this is God's mercy. And how is it God's mercy? Here we are, I'm almost done. This is, I'm going a little over, but this is a big chapter. I want you to get clarity. Here is God's unlimited mercy in the taking of a life swiftly. Check this out. When you refuse to receive the mark of the beast and you refuse to worship his name, you will be swiftly executed but upon execution, in that very moment, God swifts, whisks you away to heaven to be with him. You're, you're immediately in his presence. And all the pain and all the sorrow and all the suffering up to that point, it's gone forever and you're with him. And that is God's mercy. And that is why it's on, off in the last days. You're up, down, you're in or out. And to be martyred for Christ, you're immediately in his presence. So what is wisdom then? You better know what the mark might be and how it might look. So here's wisdom, verse 18. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. It's just a man. Verse number is 666. And the Hebrew language and the Greek languages, they both assign a numerical value to each letter in their alphabet. And so when you take just five letters, the most precious name, Jesus, just take five letters, J-E-S-U-S, -S, and you add those together in the Greek, they, they add up to 888. What is eight in the Bible? A new beginning, a new work. When you when you uh, um, gone through the week, seven days, you know, the end of the week, the new, the new day is the eighth day. It's a new beginning. Jesus is a completed, wonderful, living Lord who wants to bless you and give you life. But the number six in the Bible is the number of man because Adam was created on the sixth day. Remember that? And so the number 666 could be an unholy trinity indicating Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We don't know this to be absolute for sure. This is just collective gathering from scripture from my years of learning. But the point being is, it's interesting, but I found a scripture and you're gonna, here's another little nugget, okay? And I remember reading this maybe 
I forget when it was, maybe five or six years ago, I'm going, whoa, I wonder why, that's interesting. And I didn't dig in and find out, but I found out now. So check this out. 1 Kings 10, 14. You can turn there. This will be our last text here um, in the Old Testament. I have one more in the New, but it says... Um, 1 Kings 10, 14, it, it talks about the wages of Solomon. Solomon received yearly 666 talents of gold. Do you get that? Every year, Solomon received 666 talents of gold. What does that mean, Pastor? Well... The idea that I'm getting at suggests that the Antichrist, like Solomon, will be a good man to begin with, who becomes corrupted. And at some point, Satan fills the Antichrist's heart to worship him and to actually worship Satan and to do his bidding. But remember how in Solomon's disobedience, how God said, don't take multiple wives, he took multiple wives and it led him into idolatry. He started out good and ended out bad. Oh my gosh. So the Antichrist most likely will be, appear as very peaceable, really likable, all around good guy. You grew up with him, went to you know, junior high with him, you knew him all your life. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, this guy's a great dude. And um, all of a sudden Satan fills his heart and he turns on the world and he demands to be worshiped as God in the temple. So Revelation chapter 13 describes these two beasts, the first one, and they're both satanic imitations of something God did prior. And Revelation 13, beast number one, misrepresents himself as the Christ, the Messiah. He's a false Christ. He's a blasphemer. Beast number two represents himself as a false John the Baptist, one who proclaims the one who's to come. And um, Satan empowers both these beasts to do his bidding. And he can't create, but he effectively deceives the whole world to these, through these two very believable imitations. But just so this sermon does not end with 666, Let's read verse 1 of chapter 14 for next week, shall we? Let's just have a little, little joy about this thing, because it's pretty heavy stuff. Because there's great joy in heaven. When one sinner comes to repentance, all of heaven rejoices. There's just a party going on, right? So it's always a party going on in heaven in a good way, in a good sense of party, right? Um, righteousness, holiness, goodness, mercy, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Above such there is no law, for you are no longer under law, you're under grace. Revelation 14, 1. Then I looked. Now he focuses his attention back to heaven. Remember, he went from heaven in chapter 12 to earth in chapter 13, back to heaven in, verse, in chapter 14. He's getting his focus right again. Not that it was wrong, but just... Oh, it's so much better to look to heaven. I looked and, and I beheld a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name 
written on their foreheads. Oh, there's a counter. There's God's elect, 144,000 Jewish evangelists, Jewish Billy Grahams preaching the gospel with God's name, the Father's name written on their forehead, the authentic name, the authentic one, the true ones, not the false one with the fake blaspheme name on his head. No, God is showing the world the truth, the reality. He's the real.